Welcome to the Hidden Acres Podcast. Today, we're releasing all the messages from our Sportsman's Retreat chapels. Sportsman's Retreat was March 25th through the 28th, and it was a good time. It was a great time. You'll hear more about it in our April update that should be released next week. Stay tuned. This message is from session four of the traditional chapel and was preached on Sunday morning by Terry Baxter. Feel free to share these messages with people you think could benefit from them. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the Hidden Acres podcast. Please enjoy this message from Terry Baxter. These songs talking about what's to come is just beautiful. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I want to take a moment and uh, move this water before I kick it and baptize the people in the front row. <laughs> That'd be a little bad. I want to share what's happening with GoServe Global. Last year was a bit of a tough year with COVID. On an average year, we're sending about 350 people doing short-term ministry trips to various countries. And last year kind of brought a screeching halt to a lot of those trips. But God is so faithful. Uh, some of you remember when we first started, it was pretty basic back then. And... Uh, our budget is um, significant right now, uh, between 2 and $3 million a year to keep all the ministries going. And by God's grace, we finished a year in the black, even without all those trips and God working. And it, it's just so exciting right now. Down in Haiti, I think we're at seven orphanages in Haiti alone. And uh, I don't know why there's a, some kind of a ministry out there right now going around saying that orphanages are not really biblical they're encouraging people to stop supporting orphanages and bring kids into homes and as a result there's a number of orphanages that overnight lose all their support and there's no place for those kids to go and we end up taking some of them on and helping out and getting involved and uh, we got one school down there now it's got about 750 kids in it so when i'm down at the capitol and we're doing budget bills for our schools here in america doing all this stuff with black lives matters and gender identity stuff i'm not real compassionate i'm not real compassionate i i see a need but i go you know what we got to get back on target with jesus and we're doing work over in uh, africa we did a work in conjunction with international messengers in uganda where we helped build a ministry center in fact one guy's here that spent some how many how long do you spend over there? Six months. Six months. And uh, uh, just exciting. Dayton works with us with GoServe. And uh, some neat things. They're bringing kids that come out of Sudan, end up in the refugee camps. Uh, we're able to find out who they are and bring them into that orphanage as a Christian school there and other things. Uh, looking forward this year to do a work in Liberia with a pastor that I met in the legislature. He's from Liberia. And uh, pretty exciting to look forward to getting over there and building a hope center that's got uh, a church, an orphanage, a Christian school, and then a medical center. And God's just opening a lot of doors. It's, it's just really exciting to see what's happening around the world. And these are, these are great days. These are really great days. And I'm excited to see what Jesus is up to. And uh, we got two daughters in Peru, South America, down there doing ministry. And my daughter got a hold of me not long ago, and they just got a new building there, a pretty big church building. God's just filling it, and then they close it down with COVID, you know, all the restrictions. Then they open up, and people are coming in and getting saved. And uh, God's doing some things where they have small group ministry. They don't invite people to the church right away. They get to know them in small groups spread all over Iquitos, and then they've put together this thing called an Encounter Weekend. It starts on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning. And they go through 14 sessions. We built a Bible camp down there. In fact, Hidden Acres was involved a little bit in that Bible camp. And uh, we've got some of those safety homes out there that you see here. And uh, what they do, they invite the men to a, a weekend. 
Scouting Colner weekend, and then the women go to one. They go through these 14 sessions. They dig down, and they dig through all the junk in their life. And Jesus meets with them and does some healing. They deal with some things. If there's any spiritual warfare conflict, they conquer all that. And these people come out of that just absolutely on fire for Christ. My daughter, daughter got a hold of me. She said, Dad, we're starting to pray for a soccer stadium just to house all the people that are coming to Jesus. And I want to say this, you know, the American church is so pessimistic right now and so negative, thinking God's not at work and the world falling apart and whatnot. Yeah, we're probably moving toward the end times. Praise God. What a great time to have the baton in our hands and do ministry and welcome Jesus when he comes. I mean, I think these are going to be days of the most unprecedented revival and people accepting Christ. Uh, there's reports coming in even across the United States of, of just amazing movings of God with people turning to Christ right now. Don't stick your head in a hole in the ground. Don't get so complacent listening to CNN that you lose your sanctification. I mean, come on, folks. That's, that, that, that's, not, that's not the Christian Broadcasting Network. I'll tell you what. Let's, uh, let's, uh, God's at work. God's at work. I, I just praise the Lord for what I see him doing, and, and uh, neat things are happening. Well, let's bow in prayer, and we're going to get into this fourth story that Jesus told. Lord, we come before you this morning. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. I thank you that it's new every day. We can open this book and read stuff that we've read years ago, and your Holy Spirit just gives it a new spin, a new opening, a new illumination on our heart. And Lord, I just pray that you do that this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd open your word up, that your spirit would take it. The scripture is called the sword of the spirit. And Lord, we're asking you to meet with us this morning. We're expecting you to do things in our life. And Lord, we come before you and pray that we will not be the same when we go home because we've been here this weekend. And Lord, I also thank you that this weekend is just a mere taste of what we can have every day alone in your presence. Lord, I just thank you for that. I thank you that, that your word is so precious, and, and Lord, that we can spend time one-on-one -on -one with you. And just as Moses went out to the tent of meetings and he'd just get a glow on his face every time he met with you, Lord, that can happen to us every day when we have our, our place to meet alone with God, and we just praise you for that. So, Lord, take your word and open it up this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, I, I tell you what, uh, we're coming to the last uh, big story that Jesus told. Now, I picked the four that are kind of the main ones. He did some other parables and some other things in the Gospel of Luke, but there are four big ones that kind of stand out. Now, I say that because Jesus is about to talk about a subject um, that I think there's a lot of confusion on today. In essence, he's going to talk about what happens after death. He's going to talk about eternal destiny. He's going to talk, if I can say it this way, about hell. And, you know, there are many Christians today who say, I, I don't believe hell is real. Well, you better go tell Jesus that because he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And the bottom line is I'd rather listen to Jesus than you anyhow. <laughs> okay? I was uh, traveling by train one time from uh, Minnesota out to Libby, Montana. I was teaching at a training center. I was working for International Messengers and got to talking. I was sitting with people on the train, and there were a few gals sitting there kind of close to me. We got talking, and this one gal was talking about her view of God. And uh, she said, and, and, and my God would never have a place like hell. He would never send any place, anyone to a place like that. And I said, I know he went. She said, well, how do you know that? I said, because your God doesn't exist. 
your God is a figment of your imagination. You made up a God according to your values. But if you want to know what God will do, you've got to open the book and read what he wrote us. This is a revelation of God. This book. I don't care what opinion polls say. I don't care what some Christian authors are writing today. I, I, I could care less. I'm getting into the book. That's where I want to be. I, people all the time say, hey, Terry, do you know about this person? you know about that person? Have you ever heard this guy speak? No, I haven't. Why? I'm so busy, the time I have to spare, I'm just spending it with Jesus and the rest of it's pedal to the metal in ministry. Okay? I, I, I just don't have time to chase after everything and everyone else out there. Praise God, there's a lot of people God's using today. That's good stuff. But the bottom line is, I think we've got to set our focus on Jesus and follow him. Now, we've gone through three of these stories so far. We started with the, the, the story of the sower who sowed the seeds. And uh, what an incredible picture that Jesus has for our lives. We've got to work through it, guys. There's going to be challenges. Then we went to the story of the Good Samaritan. There are a lot of different views of how you get to heaven. We kind of walk through those. And I'm going to say this. Last night we talked about the prodigal's father, not the prodigal son. That text is about a father who had a son that went away. Oh, what a precious picture of God. Now we come to a story that's called the rich man and Lazarus. And this text, more than any other text in the four Gospels, Jesus opens up and he talks about life after death. What happens when we die? Where do we go from here? And I'm just going to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. And this text is just, just profound. And Jesus walks through this story. And by the way, some people say, was this a parable? I've read a number of scholars and a lot of people, and, and most scholars that I know would say this was not a parable. This was a story, and Lazarus was, was a real man that maybe some people actually knew who had died that Jesus was talking to. Because never in any of the parables did Jesus give a name to a person. And in this one, he does. He calls him Lazarus. You know, and, and there's something about funerals. You know, I've, I've had the privilege of conducting a lot of weddings over the years. I tell people I've married a lot of women. <laughs> then I have to qualify. I conducted their wedding. I married them to their husband, not me, praise God. Some of them were real basket cases. But <laughs> you know, we just passed a bill. I shouldn't do this. <laughs> we just passed a bill down at the legislature where cosmetologists can actually be at a wedding to get the bride and wedding party before they were not allowed to be there. And I made a caucus. I said, you know, I, I'm a pastor. I performed a lot of weddings. I think we should make it mandatory. <laughs> I've, seen, <laughs> I've never seen an ugly bride on wedding. There's been some close calls. I'll tell you what. <laughs> so... <laughs> I said, I think it should be mandatory. Well, we got it passed 100%, so that was good. I'll leave it with that. I'll leave it with that. But I don't know how I got off on that. But, but here we're in this text of Scripture, and he, he's talking about Lazarus. And, and it's, a, it's a difficult story. Now, there is a certain rich man, verse 19, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, and starting with the old King James and New American Standard says, gaily living in splendor every day. It was just like the guy was living a party life nonstop. 
He had the money. He had the popularity. He could buy all of his friends. He was like the prodigal son until the money ran out. Man, I'll tell you what, if, if there was one guy you would look at and say, he's the mover and the shaker, he's the pace setter. You know, he's got it all. It would be this rich man. And by contrast, it says, and there's a certain poor man named Lazarus, and he was laid at his gate covered with sores. So what we're dealing with here is, is a picture, if you broke this into a theatrical play and you, you see the scenes change, the first scene is kind of like at the gate. And here's Lazarus laying at the gate of the rich man. He's outside the gate, and, and it says in the next verse, and he was longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his wounds. Now, now this is kind of an interesting contrast to the story of the prodigal son. Because the prodigal son, when he was down and out, was in the pig pen longing to eat the pig slop. By contrast, Lazarus was a godly man, and life dealt him a really tough deal. He was poor, he was laying at the gate of the rich man, and he was there just trying to get some scraps left over from the party. He, he, he was dumpster diving. It's a sad picture. Now, if we were to ask the question, what is success and who was successful? I, I, I dare say that almost everyone would say, boy, the rich man, He's the definition of success. He had it all. He had wealth. He had a mansion. He could buy all the friends and entertainment he wanted. There was no concerns. In fact, he had so much food, he was throwing volumes out. And if I were to say, who's the definition of failure? He said, Lazarus, what a failure. He didn't do too well in this life. Now, it's at this point, I want to make an observation. We talked about three parables last night in Luke 15. A man who had 100 sheep and lost one, a 1% loser, went and found it. A woman who had 10 silver coins, lost one, minister of the Holy Spirit, swept until she found it, a 10% loser. Then there's a man who had two sons, lost one of them, a 50% loser. But his father waited. He was yearning for him to come back. We are about to look at, I think, what's the most tragic doctrine in the Bible, and that's a 100% loser. The rich man was not the definition of success. He might have been the standard of worldliness, but he became a 100% loser. Because as the curtains pull back and they change the scenery in the background of the play, as soon as the curtain rolls open again, instead of being at the gate, suddenly we're at the grave. We're, we're at that moment of death. Now, I'm going to say that Jesus was extremely kind he dealt with this in one verse. And he deals with it relative to Lazarus. And, and, and I don't know. I, I, honestly, I've, I've heard different people address this. When 
poor and homeless people died back then. And a lot of them died during those days, especially after the Roman Empire. I think this here was closer to Palestine or Jerusalem. They'd go by and they'd have wagons. They'd pick the dead up and go out and throw them on the city dump. It was a pretty cruel culture. That happened a lot in Rome. I'm not exactly sure what the Jewish people did. There's a little bit more of a, 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 an esteem for the dead, but I love verse 22. Now it came about when the poor man died, he was carried away by angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Now, now Jesus doesn't go very far to describe the ball bearers in the spiritual realm for the ungodly, and I'm going to say non-Christian, even though this is before the work of Christ on the cross, rich man who didn't know God. But he does say of Lazarus, when he died, his physical body remained there, but angels came, and I believe they danced and celebrated with him as they brought him to Abraham's bosom. Now, what is Abraham's bosom? Let me try to explain to you what we're dealing with in this parable, or this story. I'll, I'll say story instead of parable. Prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, in the Old Testament, when God's people died, there was a separate compartment of Hades that was set up, and that's where they went. It was called Abraham's bosom, and the ungodly went to a different compartment. Now, case in point, remember when Jesus was crucified, according to the book of Ephesians, he who ascended, what is it, but that he descended first to the lower parts of the earth? And he led captive a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. What did Jesus do? Part of his ministry was to go down, and he emptied Abraham's bosom out. He reached his arms out, and he took all the Old Testament saints who had died, and he ascended with them to heaven. He brought them literally, to paradise with him. But, but the rest of what it describes in Hades was left pretty much untouched. By the way, if you go to the book of Revelation chapter 1 and Jesus is starting to introduce himself, he says, and I have the keys of death. One of the things that Jesus did after his crucifixion and prior to his resurrection, he descended to hell and he wrestled the keys of death away from the devil. And now he's the one that determines destiny. For the Christian, they're keys of life. For the non-Christian, they're still a key of death. So here we have this picture. I personally believe that maybe when the rich man died, they, they, they probably pulled out his best, I'm going to call it carriage, it might have been gold-plated, his his horses that Pharaoh himself would have been jealous of. They probably loaded up the carriage. The whole city came out, and they had this big procession out to the cemetery. They buried him, and maybe the preacher told all the good stuff about him. You know, more so than doing weddings, I like preaching funerals. I really do. I think the greatest evangelistic opportunity ever is at a funeral. I had the privilege when my dad passed away of preaching the gospel at my dad's funeral you know i've been in ministry i started back my first church in 1977 i was pastoring while a student at bible college i have never preached a funeral without sharing the gospel and i've preached hundreds of them 
when I was living in some communities where I pastored the churches, I'd go down to the funeral home and I'd tell the funeral director, hey, if you ever have people come in, they're not connected to church, you don't have a pastor, you call me, I'll preach the funeral. And I'll tell you what, I've had some amazing audiences. I've had guys come into funerals with their, their gals around their arm from bike gangs and all kinds of stuff. They had tattoos I cannot even quote in this setting. It was vulgar. I mean, skeleton skulls and tombstones. And, and boy, I tell you what, you get them looking at their buddy up there. I usually preach a message. I put one together called 10 Things So-and-So Would Tell You If He Came Back From the Death Right Now. And the first point is God is. Okay? God is. Second point is... <laughs> hell is and we walk right through the gospel you know there's something about sitting in the face of death that's real i believe i can't validate this i believe that jesus gave this message not too long after lazarus and the rich man died maybe within mere weeks and there are people who knew who this rich man was. Now, I just want to say I, I personally believe that maybe after they, even though they carried his body out after he died, I think demons probably ushered him to Hades. You know, I've been there many times when people have died. I've been, as a pastor, called into the emergency room in the hospital, sometimes a nursing home. And I've got to be honest with you. The vast majority of cases, I haven't seen a lot happen. I've seen Christians pass away. That's glorious. Denny Summers, who was here yesterday, uh, they kind of work with Special Youth Challenge. He's one of the guys. I, I remember at Special Youth Challenge when his wife was dying of cancer. She had 15 bouts of cancer. Had a ministry to people who were cancer victims. Many of them came to Christ. Then she got the one that she died from. I was invited over to their house and, and spent a little time with Denny and Kathy. And Denny stepped out to get something. Kathy looked at me and she said, Terry, what's it going to be like to die? I said, well, Kathy, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't done that yet. Uh, but let me tell you what I think it's going to be like. I think it's going to be like when you're in your mother's womb and you're forming and it was really comfortable and that fluid was there and all of a sudden contractions started and you're going, whoops, what's happening here? What's happening here? And you're kind of fighting it and you know, all of a sudden, boom, you're pushed out through the birth canal and you take your first breath and you go, wow, this isn't too bad. It's like that grace is given at that moment for the birth process. I said, Kathy, I believe... When that time comes that you're ushered out of this world into the next, that same kind of grace is going to be given to you, and it's going to be a glorious experience for you, but tough for those who are watching. They, they have a special fundraiser for Special Youth Challenge, and it goes on a Friday, Saturday. They have some shoots and whatnot. I think it might even go into Sunday. And Denny and Kathy were living on the property and it was that Friday night of a special youth challenge fundraiser when Kathy passed away. 
and some of the people said, should we cancel it? What should we do? And one of the guys said, we can no more cancel this and we stop the river from flowing. People gathered around Kathy and she hadn't done much for a while. And all of a sudden, they said, this smile came over her face and she lifted up her arms and she just started smiling. She said, oh, Jesus, praise Jesus. Her hands came down, she closed her eyes and she was gone. I think the angels just came down and ushered her into the presence of Jesus. I've seen some non-Christians die too in very unpleasant manifestations, okay? I, I believe Jesus is telling what it's really like. Now, let me just indulge a little bit. I, w- I want to indulge in the glorious departure of Lazarus. Angels ushered him away. I had the privilege two years of of going over to Liberia. I went over with uh, the pastor that I know we're getting ready for ministry there, Stephen Wanabenyaka, and here I was as an American pastor evangelist, and there's going to be a wedding over there, and what you know, they invited me to participate in the wedding. I've done more weddings in countries that I don't know the language. I, I, every time I show it, oh, there's a wedding. I invite the American evangelist. So you get in all these weddings. They're, they're all different. And you, you don't know what to expect with the culture. Now, the reason I bring the wedding up is because there's something about death for a believer that it's kind of like as a bride of Christ, I believe they're ushered into the presence. It's not quite wedding day yet, it, it's, it's, but there's something about that. And I was in Liberia, and all of a sudden, we're getting ready for the wedding party to come in, and, I, and different traditions. And they started with a guy. It took 45 minutes to get the wedding party in because the first guy in the, the groom's party would come in, and he had this special dance that he would do for the church and up to the front, and then the groom would, you know, went to each one of them. But when the bridesmaids came in, the dancing was just, it was just like the celebration and whatnot and th- th- I remember so vividly it was time for the bride to come in and the groom danced to the back of the church and instead of the father bringing right in he took her they danced around that church three or four times everybody got out of their seats they were dancing or the, I didn't think they'd ever get to the front and they finally got there and you know settled down a little bit and we we, we did the wedding I say that because I kind of think these angels you know, if you look at what happened in the three previous stories we talked about, there's celebration in heaven over one of the lost that's found. I have a suspicion there was dancing taking place. I believe when you die as a Christian, the moment you depart from this body, I, I think that there's going to be angels there dancing with you. Even if you've got bad knees now, you'll have good ones there. You'll do some moves you never dreamed about, Okay. But the rich man, I have a suspicion he was dragging his feet, doing anything he can, yelling and screaming, no, no, no. It's just a bad picture. I'm going to say something in a moment that I want you to never forget. Let's go to the next verse. The curtains come back. The scene is changed from the grave. And just to keep another G there, the gate, the grave, King James used to say the gulf. There's a great gulf or chasm fixed. 
Abraham on one side, and here was this rich man and others with him on the other side, the other compartment of Hades. And it says this, verse 23, And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Now let me say something I want you to never forget. And forgive me because this rips me up, and I never saw this until last night preparing for this message. In the three previous parables in chapter 15, the shepherd had a hundred sheep, he lost one, and he goes to find them. He, he, he searches until he finds them, and he brings them back. The woman lost one coin, she turns on her lamp, she sweeps, she finds it, and she celebrates. The father has two sons, he loses one, he stands, he waits, and he waits, and finally the son comes back, and he runs to meet him, and he celebrates. Nobody went to find the rich man. Neither God the Son, the Holy Spirit, or God the Father reached out to try to give him a second chance because it's appointed unto man once to die, then comes the judgment. He was lost for all eternity lost with no hope of having his destiny changed. You know what? I spent some time crying last night. Because even as evangelist, I don't think I ever had it hit me how lost lost is. How permanent hell lives. Some of the old evangelists used to say if if they could take any five people with them to hell for just ten minutes and then come back, they'd burn the rest of their life out as the most raving evangelist to reach every non-Christian they could because they wouldn't want anyone to go there. And Jesus is describing Hades. And let me say this. Hades was a containment place in the Old Testament, and it's still there now. And when you get to the book of Revelation, Hades is going to be emptied out and thrown into the lake of fire that's prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is not made for people. It's made for Satan and fallen angels. And many people are going to end up there as well. And Jesus is talking about the eternal state of the lost. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. He saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and come and cool off my tongue, for I'm in agony in this heat. Now, you didn't mean to do this, but I'm going to do it. I have a glass of water here in case my throat gets bad. Uh, There are times that I've had a parched throat and I want to get a drink of water. Let me tell you how much water the rich man in hell begged out for. That much. 
I can only get the amount of water that would be on Lazarus' finger to come and cool off my tongue. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. He's crying out to Father Abraham. By the way, this is interesting. Abraham from the Old Testament has conscious existence. Death is not the end. We just switch from here. Our soul and our spirit live on eternally. And Verse 25, But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and Lazarus likewise bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. This is not a works-based picture of getting into heaven versus hell and it's an equalizer. This was before Jesus died on the cross. Keep that in mind. This is before the gospel was finished. Right now, when a Christian dies, immediately to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Okay? Verse 26. Abraham is continuing with his Bible lesson. Might be the first Bible study the rich man ever got serious enough to listen to. I want to say this. Read your Bibles. Study your Bibles. I challenge non-Christians all the time. They all have some kind of theology. Some of it's barroom theology. I said, would I be so uh, forward as to say, read the book? At, at least before you uh, end up deciding how you're going to live, read God's revelation. Listen to what he said. Verse 26, And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed. There's a gulf. Even before the resurrection of Christ, Hades had two compartments. One was for the Old Testament saints. The other was for everyone else. And then he says this, that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able to, and that none may cross over from there to us. Good request, but Lazarus can't come. Because with death, destiny is settled, and there is no crossing over after death. You know, there are some churches that start their evangelism after people die. They have all these ceremonies and stuff they do to try to get them out of purgatory. Purgatory is not a biblical doctrine. It's not there. By the way, one of the things about purgatory I learned from our pastor, the church that I'm attending, is they never tell you how long they're in purgatory for. It could be thousands of years. We don't know. That's not a biblical picture. Purgatory is not biblical. There's not a second chance after you die. So all of a sudden, the rich man has a burden for his lost 
family and friends. He says this. And he said to him, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. I don't know, they're probably so busy fighting over the inheritance they might not have listened. Who knows? But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Moses and the prophets represent the Old Testament. You know the Gospels in the Old Testament? You can find the whole Gospel there, even the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. They, they have scripture. Let them listen to the word of God. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. That'd be significant. What a phenomenon. If someone rises from the dead. Oh, the, you know, if Lazarus comes back and he stands at the gate and knocks on it, I thought you were dead. Well, I came to tell you something. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. I want to make an observation. God answered his request. Because not long after this, Jesus who told this story was scourged and mocked, carried across to Mount Calvary, a hill called Golgotha, and there he was raised up and died on the cross for the sins of mankind. The last thing he said is, it is finished, paid in full. He died. And three days later, he rose from the dead. The grave couldn't keep him. He's alive. It's God. Romans chapter 1, verse 4 says, declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. That message for the last 2,000 years has been being proclaimed around the world and still today. And by God's grace, many have responded. Many more have not. I, I can't explain it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get into a, a tug of war between Calvinism and Arminianism. I, I, I personally like what Augustine said before either one of them lived and wrote their stuff. Pray as if it all depends on God. Work as if it all depends on man. He brought two parts of Scripture together and married them. It was called God's providence and sovereignty and then he brought together human responsibility and there is no conflict between them. Let me say this. As I read this text of Scripture, you are going to be held accountable for what you do with Jesus Christ. So that brings us to where we are right here today. We're all in this story. You will either be Lazarus 
with a celebration of angels around you when you die because you've invited Jesus into your life, put your faith in him, trusted into him, he saved you. Or you'll be like the rich man that held Jesus at arm's length. And for all eternity, you're going to be ushered into a, a place that eventually is going to be called the lake of fire. And no one not Jesus, not the Holy Spirit, nor the Father is going to come after you to try to give you a second chance because your destiny is sealed with your last breath. It's here while you're alive. Depending on what you do with Jesus, it determines your destiny. I almost chuckled a little bit because I went to it get my microphone back there and I said well give my hellfire and brimstone message today <laughs> if only if only you knew where I was speaking from I don't think we have enough preaching on hell in our churches today I don't think we have enough preaching on heaven I don't think we have enough preaching about sin I don't think most churches know what the gospel is But I want to say this. Jesus told this story. And not long after, he stretched out his arms as they drove the spikes in his hands and feet. And he went to the cross. He could have called a legion of angels to set himself free, but voluntarily he died for you and me to pay for our sins that our eternity might be totally different. And he reaches out and says, here's the gospel. He came to his own, and those who his own received him not, but those who received him, to them he gave the right to become sons of God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. Or his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. The bottom line is Jesus did it all. You don't earn your salvation. It's a gift of faith. All you do is receive. What have you done with Christ? What have you done with Jesus? 31 years ago when we started this retreat, and I've been one of the speakers for 31 years at this retreat, at the first one and everyone after that, we started this as an evangelistic tool to share the gospel and reach out to men that love hunting and fishing and, and yet to be a very straight shooting presentation of the gospel. If you're here today and you've never put faith in Christ, I'm not concerned what church you go to. I'm not even concerned if you go to church. But I am concerned about what you do with Jesus Christ. And then, I don't think many texts of Scripture present the reality better than this text. And I'd be totally amiss today if I did not give you an opportunity to put faith in Christ. Now, last night was God going after his own who have walked away and backslidden. They're still his own. The Father's waiting with open arms. This text of Scripture is Jesus going after those who don't know him while they still have a chance. It's like an invitation opened up 
I rose from the dead. I've gone to warn them. Lest they come to this place of great torment. And by the way, the pastor of my church spent one, he didn't even get on this text. He looked at all the other scriptures. I was a little disappointed with him that he didn't get to Luke chapter 16 and his picture of hell. I, you know, but he's now done five weeks on heaven. You don't have to go to this place. There is something the scripture talks about. I, I like what Second Corinthians or First Corinthians chapter two verse six says: "Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and that has not entered into the heart of man, all that God's prepared for those who love Him." I, I love what Jesus said in John fourteen: "Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions." I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place, I'll come again receiving myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus wants people to be with him for all eternity in heaven. Say, what's it going to be like? I don't know. The sun's shining right now. It's beautiful out there. Okay, there's no leaves on the trees yet. Give it about two months. It's going to be pretty nice out there. God did some good things on this earth that took Jesus six days to create it. But what he's preparing for us, he's been working on for 2,000 years. If he could pull something this magnificent off in six days, what do you think the byproduct of 2,000 years of working is going to be like? Unimaginable. What determines where you go? Well, what Jesus did on the cross determines it. How you respond to that determines where you go. Have you put faith in Christ? The Apostle Paul <clears throat> in Second Corinthians said, I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. pretty strong let me let me say that I, I beg you today man if you haven't put faith in Christ be reconciled to God I can't do it for you I've made a lot of mistakes in life but one mistake I did not make then the spirit of God wooed into my life I responded and said, yes, Jesus. Take this mess. Make me anything other than who I am. I give my life to you. That moment changed not only my life, but my destiny for all eternity. That's what you've got in front of you right now. That's the Spirit of God ooing you on. So let's bow our heads. Let's just close our eyes.